Matthew, second chapter, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. If you would, read read with me. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem, so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent to them, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I don't believe that God ever intended for the following things to happen that mankind would exalt one day above any other to celebrate the day of Christ's birth. If God had wanted us to do that, he would have commanded us to do so in his word. I don't believe that God would ever want us to think of worship as a command performance that's only due for us one or two times a year, as many people do this time of year. But I don't believe that God wants us as his people to really bury our heads in the sand about the amount of religious error and the amount of things that are taught this time of year, all in the name of Christ. Instead, I want us to understand that what God wants us to do is what we do faithfully every single Lord's Day, and that is to preach and teach Jesus. And that's what we intend to do this morning from Matthew chapter 2, because I don't want you to think about this as a Christmas lesson. I want you to think about this as a Bible lesson. And the reason why we can't necessarily focus on that cradle is because the Bible doesn't necessarily focus on that cradle, or that manger rather, and that the place where Jesus was laying. Instead, what you find is the action surrounds these wise men that have come from the east in order to worship him. Indeed, if you look at the book of Matthew, Matthew is not focusing on the baby in the manger that's to be adored, but he's focusing on the Jesus that God has made Lord. 
That is, that Matthew's purpose in writing this is not so that we can look at this baby. And in fact, there's no description of how he was. He was. There's a lot of uh, news and, and buzz on, on social media, especially about baby Yoda. I don't know if you've seen any of that. The Mandalorian, the Star Wars series that, uh, that Disney started, uh, everywhere you look, there's a cute little Yoda that's, that's just this little baby. And, and you see it and you think, oh, that's so cute. There's no description for us to be able to look at Jesus and say, oh, how cute. Oh, how sweet the Son of God was, that sweet little baby lying in that manger. And instead, what you find, especially in a chapter like Matthew chapter 2, and especially in the book of Matthew as all, is reasons, compelling reasons, why it is that we ought to consider that Jesus is God's chosen king. Look just for a moment, evidence from Matthew chapter 2, that Jesus really is the king to whom we owe our allegiance. Number one is the antagonism of Herod. Herod, verse 16, the Bible says, was so angry at being deceived by the wise men and so angry that it was that he missed his opportunity to go and kill the child that was born in Bethlehem that it was that he went and he killed all of the children in Bethlehem and the surrounding regions who were two years old and younger. That shows that Herod, being crazy as he was anyway, Herod was a person that recognized that there were implications for him and his client kingdom that the Romans had set up about this king that was to be born, king of the Jews. Note also that four times in just Matthew chapter 2, there is prophecy surrounding Jesus and surrounding what the scripture says about him and about his birth and about the elements of it. Verse, uh, verse uh, 5 and 6 there's a quotation from Malachi, or excuse me, uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 about the place of Jesus' birth. Look down at verse 15. When they went down to Egypt and came out of Egypt, it was to fulfill prophecy saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. God saying, This is the king. This is the one that you need to keep your eyes on. Look down at verse 18. Here's a prophecy, verse 17, which was fulfilled by Jeremiah the prophet, verses 17 and 18, a voice that was heard in Ramah, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. And verse 23, he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Four times in just this one chapter, Matthew points back to Old Testament prophecy made hundreds of years before this occasion to say, this is the king. This is Jesus. This is the one that God is going to name King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19. For perhaps the most compelling reason given in this chapter why it is that we need to pay attention to Jesus, that is, he is God's chosen king, is because you find wise men that seek him. Wise men that seek him. Who were these wise men? We don't really know. The Greek term is magi. You often hear the term of them being referred to as uh, magi, kingmakers. These men were from the Persian, uh, Persian area, the Persian Empire, so to speak. Um, they came from the east. That's the only description that we have. In fact, the old traditional song says, We three kings of Orientar, um, astronomers and astrologers. The word magi, or the word wise men, was a name that was given by the Babylonians and Medes and Persian to... Anybody that possessed a spirit of wisdom about them, somebody that was a named preacher or maybe a priest or a physician or astrologer or a seer, somebody that interpreted dreams or we might say soothsayers or sorcerers. And ancient thought, these wise men focused on the elements and the things that they saw in order to look for wisdom. 
there was a great deal of study. If In fact, you might consider these people to be ancient scientists, oriental scientists. You might remember that Daniel was named among the wise men of Babylon in Daniel chapter 2, verses uh, 48 and 49, 600 years before Christ. And these wise men had so influenced this oriental part or this, this eastern part of this, uh, the world that they had, well, they had, they had shaped the beliefs and the thoughts about these people. But note that these wise men especially would most likely have been familiar with the writings of Daniel. They would have most likely been familiar with the writings of Ezekiel the prophet, of those, those two particular prophets who were in Babylon at the time. And in fact, they might have been familiar with the prophecy of the church, the coming kingdom in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 24, or Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 rather. And as they were looking in the prophecy, here's a kingdom that's never going to be destroyed, that's going to be established in the days of the Roman Empire. Well, you can't have a kingdom without a king. And these wise men came from the east in order to try and seek that king. Let's deal just for a moment before we jump into the bulk of the lesson with a couple of misconceptions about these wise men before we go any further. Note also, or firstly, that we are never given the number of the wise men. If I were to just to go out and I say, all right, how many wise men were there? Well, there were three. Well, that's not true. The Bible doesn't necessarily specify how many wise men there were. Why do we assume three? We assume three because there were three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. But the Bible doesn't say that there were specifically three wise men. The second thing that we need to deal with as far as misconceptions is the time and the timing that they came to offer their gifts and present their worship to Jesus. We're talking about a time frame of some weeks and months, perhaps, after the birth of Christ that these wise men came. How do you say that? Note, <coughs> the first reason is because verse 11 says that Mary and Joseph were now staying in a house and not in the stable. Luke chapter 2, verse 7 is a good cross-reference to write there out beside verse 11. Luke 2, verse 7, because it says that they were staying in the house when the wise men came and saw them, that kind of flies in the face of every nativity scene that you've ever seen, doesn't it? They're staying in a house and not in a stable. Note also, Luke chapter 2 and verse 20, uh, 24 says that Mary and Joseph went in to offer their gift for the firstborn, for the one that opens the womb in Luke chapter 2 and verse uh, 24. And as they came in and they offered that gift of those two turtle doves, well, if the wise men had visited previously, why didn't they offer out of the gold and frankincense and myrrh that the wise men so richly gave them? You see, the two turtle doves were for a very poor family, a concession offering that God would accept for those people that couldn't afford to offer what God had commanded for the, uh, for the firstborn offering. But it is that after the offering sometimes, the, the wise men came and they offered these things to Mary and Joseph. Note also the third clue that we don't have an exact timing when these wise men came is verse 16. Herod saw he was deceived by the wise men. He was exceedingly angry. He sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and his, his districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. It could be possible that Jesus might have been up to two years old by this time before it was that Herod killed these babies, before it was that the wise men came and visited Jesus. There was time that was passed since Jesus' birth that these wise men came and offered their gifts. But the focus of our lesson this morning is not the misconceptions, but rather the understanding, brothers and sisters, that if we are still wise men, not in the same sense as these oriental magi were, 
But if we are wise men in the fact that we're still interested in seeing Jesus as king, then we're still going to seek him the way that they did originally. Six things for us to consider about these magi, these wise men, as we make our application from this lesson. Number one, realize that these wise men went searching for Jesus. They went searching for Jesus. They were in a search for something more, something truly important. You know, it's amazing to me how God has used the things that men were actively involved with in order to reveal something about himself. Here are these scientists, these magi, these wise men that spent their, the majority of their time looking up at the stars and looking for wisdom. And God used a star in order to guide them to find the place where the king was. Jesus' early disciples, the apostles, four of them at least that we know of, were fishermen. And Jesus used their knowledge about fishing and fisher, uh, uh, fishing uh, to, to teach them something about how it was that they were going to catch men. As Jesus would tell Peter, a great catch was what convinced them. But there is a common element in both of these things. These men who are looking at the stars, these men who are looking at the fish and trying to catch them, is that there's got to be something more to this life. There really has to be something more to this life. And, uh, and the search for God and looking at it, that there's a lot of people that are searching for God, like those, those people there in Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. And, and Paul would say, you're trying to grope around in the darkness trying to find him, but he's not far from each one of us, Acts 17, 27. But their time for their search was well invested. They want to find this king. They want to find this one that, whose star has revealed his coming. seems to me that there's a lot of people that will search for the wrong things. A lot of people that will search the stars still today, but they're searching for, well, they're searching for meaning and answers in the stars. Every week you have a local paper most of the time that's published and you can turn to the page where it tells from the stars, so to speak, about your horoscope, about how things are going to go for you that day or that week. And we, there's a lot of people that have put a whole lot of stock in that saying, well, the stars told me that I'm going to have a great day and I'm going to meet the man of my dreams. Okay, there's time that can be spent. And looking at the natural world and the elements, kind of like those fishermen and trying to find the best bait and the best ways to catch fish. And there's time that can be spent, but then there's also time that can be invested in looking for the creator of the stars, looking at the creator of the elements. Not just stargazers, these men were, but they were looking for the king of the Jews. Sirs, we would see Jesus, John 12, verse 21, searching Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is the obligation of every single one of us to go searching for Jesus in order to understand that we will find him. Number two, realize that they persevered in their search. They persevered in their search. They get to Jerusalem because they think that it seems like that that's where the star was leading them. Verse 2, and they get there and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews where we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him? And it is that uh, uh, Herod and heard this. He was troubled with all Jerusalem. The priests had gathered. They uh, asked the, uh, inquired of the, where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem, Judea. In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it's written by the prophet. In fact, these wise men missed it by five and a half miles. 
Jerusalem is north of Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is another five and a half miles south of where Jerusalem is. And they didn't just throw up their hands and say, well, we got close. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. I guess we can go back to the east and, and say that we missed. They continued. They persevered in their search. They followed God's light to his conclusion. It occurs to me that many people stop short of God's will. They stop short of where God wants them to be and stop short of what God wants them to do. They can look and they can read the words in black and white on the page. They can look and they can understand exactly what God's saying. But then when it comes to the doing, well, they're not as interested in doing that. But following God's light to his conclusion means we're not just merely associated, content with being associated with God or with his people and with his names. But we want to be united with Christ. We want to be subject to this king, this one that God has revealed, and this one who is coming with his kingdom. But these wise men didn't stop short. Note also about this point. They met with some unexpected reactions when it was that they were looking for Jesus. They met some people that were ignorant about Jesus. There were people in Jerusalem, God's people, the Jews, who that they went to and they began to ask questions of. And all of a sudden, because these foreigners, these Gentiles have come from the east and they're now in our territory, there is a mad dash and a mad scramble around Jerusalem. Oh, where's that prophecy about, uh, about Jesus? Where's that thing that, that's, that, that writes about where he's supposed to be born? Let's go ahead and let's look for that. And they went, they found it. And the, but by and large, they were ignorant about what those wise men were so knowledgeable, knowledgeable about. The prophecy. Some were indifferent to Jesus. It's telling that here's God's people, the Jews, there in Jerusalem, and they find out that these men have followed the star all the way from the east, wherever that was, a journey of hundreds of miles, maybe thousands of miles, we don't know. But they've come, and now it is their five and a half miles from their conclusion. And it doesn't say that there were any Jews or anybody else that went with them in order to try and find where the place is that this child is laying. They were indifferent. They didn't necessarily want to search and want to persevere in the search. There's a lot of people that can know Scripture well but fail to have a relationship with the Lord. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you, John 15, verse 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, verse 15. James 2, verse 19. Even the demons believe and tremble. Does that mean they're going to do the will of God? It doesn't. It doesn't. Note that they encountered also some people that were openly hostile to Jesus. Herod wanted the wise men to believe that his intentions were noble. When you find the place where he's lying... Come back and tell me so that I can also come and worship him. When in fact Herod's purpose and Herod's job, he wanted to kill that child. He didn't want any rival to come to his kingdom and to his inheritance and to what he thought he had a right to. And like Herod, there's some people that try and seek to do all they can to destroy or discredit God and his plans. But note also that there are some who are humble before Jesus, like these wise men. And it is that they persevered in their search and they found what it was that they were searching for. Kind of speaks to what Jesus says in John 8, verse 31 and 32. If you continue in my word, 
if you abide in my word, if you keep going in my word, if you persevere in my word, you are truly my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That's the promise of the Lord, that if you persevere in your search, you're going to find what it is that you're looking for when you're looking for truth. Number three, they were content with the light that God gave them. They were content with the light God gave them. Note how many times in this chapter it talks about seeing his star. It was all about Christ, and it was all about seeing his star. And when they saw his star, they were overjoyed to see it. They were wise, and they were wise men because they were willing to follow God wherever it was that he led. Note that we don't have record of them complaining about the difficulty of the road. Sometimes we do that. The Bible says, do all things without complaining and disputing, Philippians 2, verse 14. Note that they didn't drag their feet when it was that they knew what they had to do. They continued doing what was right, and they continued walking after what it was that they knew was right. And it led them, verse 9, to Christ. There are a whole lot of people that are skeptically waiting for some kind of other revelation. And they're looking and they're trying to find out and wait for something that God's going to do and God's going to reveal that will point the right way. When it is that we have the right way, when it is that we have the light that God's given and we have the understanding of what it is that He wants us to do and how it is that He wants us to behave as His people, there's something good about searching. There's something great about searching, just like the Bereans did. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the Scripture daily to see whether the things Paul was saying was so. But there comes a point where we have to do something with what God has revealed. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, James 1, verse 22. God wants us to take our knowledge and take our, our, our understanding and act on that. There are people that will sit Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, and understand that Jesus said, he that believes and baptized is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. When we find what God wants us to do and we sit there week after week, month after year, month year after year and think, well, that doesn't necessarily apply to me. That doesn't necessarily speak to my needs. Are we any different than somebody that is looking for an additional light in order to guide them and lead them? Christ is it. God is it. And what he's revealed is complete. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all time delivered to the saints. We studied in our Bible class this morning, Jude 3. When you know that Jesus is king, and you know that you're sorry for your sins. And you know that you ought to take that next step in being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. What are you waiting for? What's holding you back? Because it stops at Christ, verse 9. It occurs to me that some stop too short. Some want to stop at, well, you just got to believe. That's all God wants you to do is just have faith. He just wants you to believe in Him. That's it. Confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and salvation is going to come to you. Sinner's prayer, they say. That's stopping short of what the Bible's revealed. Some people try and go too far and they go to what Paul would call another gospel. Galatians 1, verses 6 through 8. But what the emphasis of the Bible is is that you have everything that you need. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. That you are complete in Christ, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. And you don't have, we don't have every answer revealed to us and everything that we want to, to know about as far as uh, the things that engage our curiosity, but we know enough to be saved and we know enough to have the greatness of the salvation to realize Jesus is king and I have a responsibility to be subject to him. Are you willing to act on what you do know to be true? Are you content with the light of what God has given you? Number four, they saw more in, others, more in Jesus than others did. They saw more in others than Jesus did. Verse 11, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped, circle it, him. These men were influenced by what they heard and saw. They had obviously listened to God's people through Daniel and Ezekiel and other prophets. And they'd obviously thought for themselves and examined the evidence at hand and took what others said as a grain of salt, but, but really followed the evidence. And when they came in, they fell down and they worshipped not his mother, not Joseph. They worshipped him. He is the one born king of the Jews. What an odd scene this must have been. Whatever house this was here in Bethlehem, maybe a rented house, maybe a house of a friend or an acquaintance, maybe a relative of Joseph, as they're sitting there in that room, hear these grown men coming in one right after another. Men that have obviously traveled a great distance. Men who obviously didn't have the same clothing that they had on locally. Men who obviously didn't necessarily, weren't from around here as we might say. And these men coming in, standing before this mother and Joseph, and bowing down before this child. They recognize the greatness of Jesus. It's a tremendous statement about how much they thought about him. When we begin to see something of who Jesus is, such as what Jacob spoke by prophecy before his death, Israel, Genesis 49, verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Or what Isaiah saw by prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Well, that happens every day. Well, for unto us a, a son is given. That happens every day. But the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. When you find somebody like that, with those titles, with those names, that He can be the Prince of Peace in your life and in my life, and He is the everlasting Father for, for all creation and all humanity, that's worthy of investigation. That's worthy of us waking up and taking notice and saying, there's something special about this person. There's something special about this one that God has called King of the Jews. How can we help but worship Him? When his name literally means Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. You see, everybody has to make a decision about who Jesus is. Luke 17, Jesus quotes from the prophet, and he says, The stone which the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you hear the message about Jesus, you can either build your life on him, you can use him as a cornerstone for your life, or you're going to spend the rest of your life tripping over him, stumbling over him. Though the choice is yours. You can build your life on him or you can stumble over him, but that's your choice. 
it doesn't change the fact that he is the one that God has purposed for this plan and for this calling. He is the king, the chosen king, and the church is his kingdom. Number five, they gave liberally. They gave liberally. It is that you've got those three gifts. Possible symbolism is the gold might represent the gift for the king. The frankincense was a spice that was used especially in temple worship. That is a gift for God. The myrrh was used commonly for an embalming spice. Gift for one who was going to die. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us exact equivocations about what these things represent, but we can, we can guess. But what we do know is these were generous gifts. The generosity of these wise men made possible the long and expensive journey to Egypt. God is going to take what's generous and use that gift in extraordinary and unexpected ways to his cause. You ever think about God judging our hearts based upon what spontaneously arises whenever it is that we see and hear a need that, that comes about? Generosity is essential to true worship, as Carrie was praying about this morning. Generosity is about God loving a cheerful giver, not somebody coming in and, and laying down that gold before that baby and saying, oh, he's not even going to know what to do with this. He's just a baby. He's not going to appreciate this gift. But instead realizing, I found one special. I found one that God is going to crown his king. I found this one that it is that's going to be different than all others. Jesus would say himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What does that say about your heart and my heart when it comes to things like giving? Are we liberal givers? Are we ones that want to lay down and sacrifice for the king and realize that all glory and power and really everything that we see belongs to him? Number six, they continued in God's will. These men were wise because they continued in God's will. Verse 12, they were divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, so they departed their own country another way. Their old ways were forsaken. There was a very real danger to these men if it was that they had disobeyed Herod. If they went back to Herod, they uh, ran the risk of really their lives. If Herod's trying to commit a cover-up by killing all these babies to and under, what's a couple of more wise men that nobody's going to, well, I don't know that they came this way. Seemed like a pretty good alibi that he could, he could craft if it was that he was going to kill these men. But what it was, was they kept listening to God, even though when they found what they were looking for. That's significant for us to realize. They kept listening to God when they found the king. Up until now, and you can go back and mark them in your text, God had revealed himself through words, the words of prophecy, Ezekiel and Daniel. God had revealed himself and revealed his plan through a star, leading them all the way until the time that it was that they found that baby in that house. God had revealed himself in dreams to these men and visions. But it was they continued in God's way. I'm mindful of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. When it says, God, who in various times past spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us through a son of whom he is appointed heir of all things. 
When we begin to look to the elements or we begin to look to visions or dreams or those other things and, and we try and find out what the wisdom of God is, we are failing to understand that God has already spoken to us and revealed His will through His Son. And it is that continuing in God's way, once we've found the King, once we've understood who Christ is, we've got to continue in His words. If you abide in my words, Jesus said, John 8, 31. Be faithful until death and I'll give you the crown of life, Revelation 2, verse 10. Continue in what the things that you've learned and heard and, and, and have, have followed in me. There is a real danger that exists if we foolishly go back to our old ways. There's a real danger that exists if we fail to understand that we've died to sin, Romans 6 and verse 2. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Then there's a new and better way revealed for us through Jesus by God. It would have been hard for this large entourage to escape the notice of Herod's minions. But God revealed for them a way home that they could get there safely. And these wise men followed it. God's way for us to get home, brothers and sisters, is through Jesus Christ, but it's to continue to walk in all those things we mentioned in Bible class this morning. That is our wisdom and character and perseverance and faith and hope and love and, and all those things he revealed. And the question is, he's told us that's what he wants. He's told us that's the right way. Are we going to walk in it? We study about these wise men because they were men who heard the word of God. They saw the evidence that God had revealed and they acted on what they knew to be the word of God. The answer for us is the same. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For it, uh, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Does that apply to you and me today? Sitting in these pews, hearing this lesson, realizing that I can be wise like these wise men by what I think of Jesus, by how it is that I study about Jesus, by seeing more in Jesus than anybody else that's ever lived or walked on this earth. And understanding that there's a right way and a wrong way and being content with what God has given me. I can be wise like these wise men and I can come to God and I can know that I'm pleasing Him more than anything else. If that doesn't describe you this morning, it can. It can. If that doesn't describe your life up till this point, that is your life is, is not just a series of choices that you're trying to do the best you can, but it's a series of choices that you base upon who Jesus is, upon the fact that He is God's chosen King. And as you make those choices from day to day, you understand that you're following the will of God. You're being wise the way those wise men were. You can do that today. But it begins with a single step in obeying the gospel and realizing that this is God's plan of salvation through this chosen King Jesus, the one who was born of woman all those years ago. And as he was born and as he grew up and as he died for us, he did so sinlessly, never committed a transgression. Unlike me, unlike you, 
And even though it is we've committed those transgressions, we can be covered by His blood because God accepts His sacrifice. And as God accepts His sacrifice, I can be covered with that sacrifice to where God looks at me and He doesn't see a sinner in need of His grace. He sees one who is justified by the blood of Jesus, made just as He ought to be by the blood of Jesus. You can have that this morning. We'd love to help you with that. Maybe there's a Christian here this morning that's not been behaving like they ought to. They haven't been seeking Jesus the way that they ought to. Wise men still, and will always, in December or any other month of the year, seek Jesus. Let's be standing. Sing our song. I am.